Uh, so like I already said, I, uh, I did not certainly want this to be a, uh, a Sunday, a dramatic Sunday, all about me, and that includes this sermon uh, for the first service. Luke said, hey, I'm expecting some fireworks this morning, and uh, you're not going to get fireworks. We're not going to have a second Pentecost here. Um, not a dramatic send-off sermon with parting words, senior pastor. Instead, uh, what I want to do is what I've done for um, over a decade now, and just open our Bibles, take up the next passage that is before us. But as it turns out, in God's providence, the passage that is before us perfectly fits uh, this occasion. Of course, every season of transition brings with it a measure of anxiety. Uh, What does the future hold for TCPC, the church we love so much? Now, I will just say this. um, Of the three pastoral transitions we've had, this one should be met with the least concerns. when we transitioned from Al Lutz to Petros Rukas, um, some of you here were there at that time. Uh, TCPC was a small congregation, under-resourced, uh, barely able to make budget every year. When we transitioned from Petros to John Sartell, um, as many of you know, we were a reeling, hurting congregation um, from Petros's tragic death. We transitioned from John to me. Uh, you were calling a, a young 30-year-old knucklehead with zero experience to be your next senior pastor. So now, I'm stepping away, and TCPC, I would argue, is the healthiest it has ever been. Not just in attendance and finances and those standard metrics, but the culture of TCPC. Uh, united, happy, hopeful, optimistic about the future. Um, and an incredibly healthy, godly, gifted staff in place, fully capable to carry on the leadership of the church. So if the Lord proved to be faithful through the more difficult transitions, why would we ever doubt his faithfulness in this one? But yes, there is always um, anxiety surrounding moments like this in a congregation, so a passage on fear seems appropriate But this passage is even more significant in a way um, I didn't expect. When I started prepping for it uh, this week, uh, I thought to myself, I swear I've preached this passage before. And so I went back to my files, and sure enough, um, I had preached this passage before. My immediate thought was, you know, sweet, I get to reuse a sermon my last week, save me some work. And then I read it, and I thought, ugh, that is a terrible sermon. It's nothing like... uh, Nothing like 10 years of preaching for you to appreciate how God grows you as a preacher. But this passage uh, was one of the first sermons that I preached as your senior pastor. Uh, Many of you know uh, that I took this calling originally with fear and trembling, that just prior before uh, you called me as your senior pastor, uh, I went through a sanctifying season of just crippling anxiety, which was necessary to ensure that I entered the calling with the weight it deserved. And so at the very beginning, I preached this passage, probably more for me than for you. And so as God's providence would have it, I began my time as your senior pastor with Jesus' command, do not worry. And now, a decade later, I'm ending my time as your senior pastor with Jesus telling you, do not worry. I have two points, very simple. 
We're going to look at fears and fight. We're going to first look at our fears, and then we're going to look at how do we fight our fears. So let's begin by just examining our fears themselves. The root of our fears is difficult to discern here because on the surface it seems like Jesus is only uh, commanding us not to fear and there isn't much of a diagnosis of why we are prone to so much worry except for one word that really changes the meaning of the passage. Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. He doesn't say, I tell you, do not be anxious. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. That's important because that one word connects this passage to our discussion last week. And last week, if you recall, we discussed our treasures. I mean, the ending command is you cannot serve God and money. But if you'll recall, I said, you know, it's really, the issue is not about money as much as what money provides us, which is these earthly treasures of ours. And so from the topic about what we treasure, Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious. What is the connection between our treasures and our anxiety? Jesus says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasuring something is more than having an affinity for it or even a love for it. It is placing something at the center of your life. When we treasure something, we unite to it our affections, our longings, our hopes, our significance, our meaning, our purpose. We give our heart and all that that entails to our treasure. Therefore, treasuring is a dangerous business because what if we treasure that which is fleeting? What happens When we unite our hearts to that which is destined to go the way of, quote, moth and rust that Jesus spoke of last week. What happens when we unite our hearts to that which thieves can break in and steal, like Jesus said last week? What if your heart belongs to something that cannot endure? Well, what happens is your heart freaks out because of it. We may not be able to articulate it. But our fears bear witness to it. We know that we have placed our hopes, our longings, our identity, our purpose in danger. Name your treasure. Health, security, success, your success, your kids' success, possessions, beauty, fame, your your family, your legacy. Whatever it is for you, either we fear that we will never be able to obtain our treasure... Or we have our treasure and now we fear to lose it. Either way, our treasures haunt our hearts. So what can we do? Well, the most obvious response is choose a new treasure, clearly. We repent of our earthly treasures and we give our hearts instead to Jesus who cannot fail us. We know this is the answer. But if you are like me, it remains frustratingly abstract. Yes, I know, Jesus is the answer, like always. Yes, I know that I am to give my heart to him rather than worldly idols. I know that's the way, but what does that even mean? What does that even look practically speaking? That's what Jesus outlines for us in our passage. I want to spend the majority of our time exploring that together. So we've looked at our fears. Now let's move to actually how do we fight our fears. And Jesus offers a twofold way, trusting God and serving God. Let me look at each of those. Trust in God. Now, we know we are to trust God, but to simply shout, trust God at our fears does not work. For those of you 
who are like me who do battle anxiety. You know that trust God is a meaningless platitude. We need rock-solid, firm foundation, unwavering certainty that God can be trusted. Well, that's what Jesus is offering in the passage. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? There's a lot to unpack there, but let me simplify it for it. Here's what Jesus has given us here. He's given us two promises, two promises that if true, we can trust our God with our whole hearts. And and here are the two promises, that God is sovereign over all and God loves you above all. First, God is sovereign over all. He is so sovereign according to our text that even the smallest details of the created order, food for birds, the blossoming of lilies, Even the smallest details are under the control of God. That's how sovereign he is. TCPC, never give up what this church has always believed. Your God is sovereign. I know it raises questions. I'm not denying that. I know you can't figure out how exactly it works. God is in control, but we're responsible and all that stuff. I understand. Just don't give the doctrine up. Don't abandon it. You have to believe that nothing is outside the control of God. You see, the lie that we believe is that maintaining control will calm our fears, right? That's what we're doing. If we can just get control of our circumstances, then we will have peace. But this is a lie we tell ourselves. Even if we could obtain control over our lives, we would mess our lives up. But the reality is control will always be elusive. You're never going to get in control. This is the point he makes in verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life span? He's right. You are not in control, or a more sobering way of stating that for you is you are out of control. (laughs) Your worries accomplish nothing. An obvious point, but it needs to be made. Our anxieties change nothing. You cannot worry yourself out of your circumstances. So why not just give up the charade of self-determination and surrender yourself instead to the sovereignty of God? You are not in control, but your God is. So in control that birds are fed and lilies grow by His sovereign hand. So give up control that is not yours, take a deep breath, and surrender to the control that belongs to God alone. And the reason you can do that is because not only is God sovereign over all, He loves you above all. If the God who is sovereign is at the same time unloving, then your fears are justified. But if the God who controls you loves you, then our fears are irrational. And beloved, he loves you. Above all, he loves you. Look again at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? I love how he states that. Because we are so accustomed to hearing God loves you. That it can become numb. How about this? You are valuable. You are valuable to God. According to Jesus, much more valuable than anything else. In all of creation, you are the creator's most prized possession. And if so, then we are right to conclude that all of his sovereignty, all of his providence, all of it is directed for you, the one he values above all. As Paul puts it, all things work together for your good. Can you believe that? That quite literally, the purpose behind the sovereign story of God is your good. Now, I know from personal experience what the natural response is to that promise. It can't be so. For if it were, then my life would not look like it looks. If he truly valued me above all, then... This, you just insert your difficult circumstance. You just insert your faint imagination. You just insert your fear. If God truly valued me above all, then this thing wouldn't be true for me in my life. Let me speak to that struggle because it's a really, really important one. The problem with doubting God's love for you based upon your circumstances goes back to the discussion on earthly treasures. What's going on there is it is defining God's love By what you treasure. God loves me if he gives me my treasure. We have our idols and then we allow those idols to dictate the terms of God's goodness in our lives. But what if God is good? But he is good because he he aims to give you what he treasures, not what you treasure. And sometimes in order for him to give you what he treasures... He chooses to withhold from you that which you treasure. I'm going to say that again. I've got a lot of blank stares right now. This is really important. This is good, okay? Listen to this. What if God is good? But he is good because he aims to give you what he treasures, not what you treasure. And sometimes in order for him to give you what he treasures, he chooses to withhold that which you treasure. When you read the promise, God works all things together for your good, be very careful not to define what is good by what you treasure. If you do, then you will constantly be doubting God's goodness. God's goodness to you is what he treasures. And what he treasures is your salvation, your sanctification, and your future glorification. That's what he treasures. And if that is what you treasure, then you will always only see God's goodness in your life. Beloved, God can be trusted. He cannot be fathomed. You're not going to be able to figure out the sovereignty and the story and the providence and all that. He cannot be fathomed, but he can be trusted. And so the first step in fighting our fears is trusting our God. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. It's not just trusting God, it's serving God. It's interesting how Jesus ends this passage, but in my experience, the point he makes here is so important to our struggles against fear. Look at how, look at what he says in verse 33. But, so this is his contrast, instead of worrying, he says, don't worry, don't fear, but 
This is what you're to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So don't worry. Instead, seek the kingdom and his righteousness, meaning replace your fears with the ambitions of his kingdom. This is so, so important. Fear runs on self-obsession. Our minds get fixated on ourselves. That could either be vain imaginations that fill our mind, things we fear are going to come to pass, but not really our, our reality, or it could be legitimate circumstances that we are facing, very real things going on in our life. But in both instances, our worries are a form of self-obsession. Well, this is the point Jesus is making here. What would happen to our lives if, if, if we uh, were to devote ourselves to something bigger than ourselves? What if the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of self, became our obsession? I'm telling you from personal experience, this has a way of disarming our anxieties. You know how easily it is to allow your days to get hijacked by your fears? Not just your days, but your night. Any other, I can't fall asleep people because your mind gets going. I'm one of those. To just get hijacked by our fears, how anxiety can just become a form of distraction. Well, it works the other way too. You can also get distracted from your anxieties, away from your anxieties, by serving a higher calling than yourself. This is the meaning of his concluding words in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. I love that Jesus says, let tomorrow be scared. Because so much of what we fear is the fear of what is to come. Instead, he includes with this, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now that trouble he speaks of is not those troubles that are threatening our earthly idols. He just told us to seek first his kingdom and righteousness. So the trouble here are those things that oppose his kingdom and righteousness. The work of his kingdom is so great. The needs are so great. Seeking righteousness, as he commands, demands so much effort. Rather than obsessing over what tomorrow will bring, we wake up every day obsessing over what the kingdom demands of me. Do you think if you woke up with the conviction that I'm going to live this day for the glory of Jesus and his kingdom in everything I do, This will be my all-consuming ambition today. Do you think you would have time to obsess over your fears? It just could not get more practical. You want to fight your fears? Instead of living for yourself and your treasure, live for God and His kingdom. The happiest, most peaceful, freest people I know are people who are giving their lives away to something bigger than themselves. And the most miserable, fearful, and anxious people I know are people who are living for themselves and their treasures. So if you were to ask Jesus, what am I to do, Lord Jesus, with all of this fear? He actually responds by not talking about those fears at all, which is the point. It's not about your fears. Freedom comes by trusting God and serving God. And by the way, This is an ivory tower teaching from Jesus. He himself put his own words into practice. Let me close with how I closed this sermon at the beginning 
um, a decade ago. This is the one part I'm stealing because it's the way that that closed every sermon. You want to talk about fear? How about the last night before facing the cross of condemnation? No matter the circumstance that you are facing, rather invented in your mind or true right now in your life, I don't care what it is, name your fear and it is nothing compared to what Jesus in that moment was facing. And he was honest about that. Quote, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Translation, I'm scared to death. What did he do with that fear? Exactly what he is asking us to do in this passage. He chooses to trust God and to serve God. An unwavering trust in his Father, thy will be done. I trust you. I trust you. I know you're good. I trust you, Father, thy will be done. And then an unwavering determination to seek first the kingdom and righteousness. And what the kingdom of God and what righteousness needed was his crucifixion. So instead of self-obsessing and self-pitying in that garden, he rises, he gives himself to his betrayer, and sets his face to Calvary. And that determination to fight his fear by trusting in God and serving God was not in vain because that same God raised him from the dead. And it's this resurrection, brothers and sisters, it's this resurrection that is the ultimate reason why we can trust God and serve God. If the resurrection is true, his resurrection and our future resurrection, if the resurrection is true, then it is also true that every single moment of fear is in vain. What's not in vain is trusting God and serving God because the resurrection will soon vindicate both those choices. Friends, I don't know what the future holds for TCPC. I don't know what the future holds for you personally, but I do know that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And if so, our fears are in vain. Let's not give in to them. Let's trust our God. Let's serve our God, knowing for certain that that trust and service are not in vain. Let me pray. Lord, we do trust you. Oh, for grace to trust you more. Lord, we want to serve you. We repent of our apathy, spending our days self-obsessing over our fears and vain imaginations rather than getting busy with the work of your kingdom. Lord, with this meal... Would you put to death our fears? This meal that proclaims Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ shall come again. Lord, how can we not trust this God who has paid for our sins and is risen from the dead? Feed our hungry souls and send us forth to fight our fears. In Jesus' name, amen.